Hey folks, it is your host, Jason. I'm back, whatsoever's true. I am sorry for the delay and the gap, you know, between teaching the Bible studies and, you know, preparing for them and, you know, some other things I've got going on. Uh, I have unfortunately been a little too too busy to get over here. And again, you know, I'm not a, a professional podcaster. As you probably know, by the lack of music, like walk-up music, I like to call it, you know, from the old boxing thing. Uh, so I appreciate your patience, and hopefully this stuff is still edifying, and uh, we can just get right into it. Today's verse is, is, you know, something I just taught on the other day, and and it's Romans eleven thirty six. It's, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Uh, Romans eleven thirty six. For from him and to him and through him are all things. Um, I think that's probably the most uh, understated verse and mis- misunderstood verse in the world. I know I had this problem. I mean, God's radical authority radically changes our lives because we see things rightly when when we see God is absolutely authoritative. So let's try to unpack this and see what it means because I think good doctrine is good living. Good doctrine is love. There's not a separation. I know in America, we like to think that two are separate, you know, logic and like Spock, you know, I got logic over here and emotion over here. Uh, but sincerely, your emotions are dictated by your beliefs. So your beliefs are, you know, what you're, what you consciously hold to be true. And, 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 and unfortunately in sin, we try to suppress true knowledge and truth about God. So we learned that in Romans 1, right, that, that they're without excuse. And uh, what's been, what can be known about God has been made plain to everybody since creation in the things that have been made, right, through nature, through mountains, through the beach, through uh, the, you know, a beautiful sunset, through good music. I mean, all of these things that, that bring us to a transcendent understanding of life. And we know that inside because God has written it on our hearts, and we're just simply suppressing that knowledge. So that's one thing to always remember about us is that we are a walking truth suppressor. And anyway, so if the triune God of Scripture doesn't exist, I mean, we literally can't make sense of any of that stuff. I mean, why would nature be beautiful, right? Why would, why would we want music and art and, and, and beautiful things? That wouldn't make sense in a chance universe. None of it would be meaningful. That's, and that's the most powerful evidence for God right there. For literally any fact whatsoever to be a fact, it must be a fact within the framework of God's Word. Okay, so think about that. Um, if he isn't the ultimate truth and God isn't the ultimate authority, then there simply can't be derivative truths or authorities. Now, I'm going to slow down for a second and just let you kind of wrap your brain around that one. The fact that we know there are truths, small truths, and, der- and derivative authorities, right, from all the way from, you know, parents to teachers to, uh, you know, administrators to police officers to judges and so forth— the concept of authority is impossible to live in this world without some type of authority structure. There cannot be authority structures unless there is an ultimate authority structure. That doesn't make any sense. Imagine a, a building you go into to work, right? And and you have a manager, but they, they don't have a boss. Well, that must be the boss. You go, no, 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 we don't really have a boss here. Well, you're talking complete chaos. And that's what we posit when we say there's no God. We're always talking about rules, and, and in particular, moral rules. And then we jettison the concept of God, and that goes to show you that we are truth suppressors. Uh, second, what would be the? Why would nature and arts and so forth be beautiful if we're simply cosmic accidents? You can't make sense of that. So, again, how can a lesser authority exist without a greater one? How can a moral order exist in a universe that's ultimately impersonal? In other words, it's just stuff. 
right? There's just a Tao. There's just a a, a, a personless deity out there, a, a, a power that people say, there's a higher power. What's that mean? If it's not an ultimate person and that person isn't love and righteousness and truth, we have a serious problem. So being finite beings and dependent upon God for the proper definition of the facts of reality, again, everything we look at, when we reject his identification of the facts, we play a game, we'll call it brute factuality. That's what Cornelius Van Til had, had described it. And basically what we're doing is that we're saying that these facts are unconnected to other things. They just are what they are. You hear something, it just is what it is, right? And that's stoicism. It's just is what it is. You know, man and fate is there. People don't like the sovereignty of God, but then they talk about fate, which would be the sovereignty of what, the universe? And that's, that's, again, that is a ghastly presupposition. The, the sovereignty of the universe, a personless, you know, personality-less void that doesn't care about you, that doesn't have any feeling towards you, is terrifying. And you wonder why we struggle with shame and guilt and aloneness. We wonder why we struggle with meaninglessness and despair. The mind... The modern mind looks at knowledge without this integrative principle of God being at the bottom of everything, right? Being the source of it, I should rather say, because one simply can't integrate without Jesus Christ and his word. And that's a, that's a, a big concept. And I know it's a big one to throw in your lap, so stay with me here. Um, and, and, and if you're having trouble with this, I understand because it's, it's in many ways not your fault. I mean, we're truth suppressors and we, and we, we choose sin, and, but sin victimizes us. So please stay with me, and, and I, I guarantee you, if you're struggling with these concepts and they sound like, wow, this is kind of philosophical and doctrinal and that kind of thing, don't despair, because the other side of this is so helpful, okay? It's like rehab for you. Like you're a believer in Christ and you're listening to this, and it's like you realize you get an injury and you're going for rehab, and sometimes the rehab's hard, right? The exercises are hard, but they're going to give you peace and joy and, and freedom in Christ. And the, the, again, the root of it is we have to reject— when the, when the next verse comes in, right after Romans 11, 30, 11, 36, we get Romans 12, 1 and 2 about renewing our mind, not being conformed to this world. Well, the integrative principle was eleven thirty six. Modern education that we all have, right, we're all walking that soil, rejects the Bible as the basis for knowledge, which makes sure that students can't think, and I'm talking about us, in anything resembling philosophical consistency because now, by default, all facts are uninterpreted. In other words, they're just brute facts. This is what we mean when we say that we're in an era of brute facts. To ask people uh, their theory of knowledge or the nature of truth, you know, the source of ethical good, the source of justice, the source of power, the goal of life, and so on. It's almost like asking a child to compare war and peace to a farewell to arms. I mean, they just simply don't possess the reference points to which they can think rationally about the world. That's all of us because that's modern, that's the education soil we grew up in. Billions of dollars are spent every year on a so-called education that, in fact, subverts and obliterates actual knowledge. It does this on, uh, you know, on purpose in order to suppress the obvious truth about God. And again, that's Romans. Uh, go check it out. Romans 1, verses 18 through 21. And, uh, and I'll even throw in Psalm 19, verse 1 now. Um, so how does this work out? Let's use American football as an example. Let me show you what I mean by this. So everyone, I mean, everyone, I guess, has heard of Tom Brady, right? So 
so when I when when you think of him, you're going to think naturally, okay, of of he's a football player. He's a football player. He used to play for the Patriots. Now he plays for the Buccaneers. Uh, so now you're thinking of the NFL and you're thinking of Super Bowls. He's won Super Bowls. So he's won more Super Bowls than other quarterbacks. So that makes him, a, you know, a great quarterback. So you notice all of these other integrative principles have come in. You can't think of Tom Brady without thinking of football. You can't think of football without thinking, oh, is he NFL or is he a high school quarterback or a college quarterback, right? So then you think of, you know, the other teams. If you say he's a great quarterback, then you're starting to think in other eras too. What about Joe Montana? What about Bart Starr? What about, uh, you know, Roger Staubach? Terry Bradshaw, if you're a Steelers fan, you're going to get mad at me if I left him out. Um, so then now we're talking about history. And then you start comparing eras. Well, the era was different. I could do the same thing with, say, LeBron James and Michael Jordan. The era of basketball they played in is different. LeBron's is easier, I would say. Um, and anyone who thinks that LeBron is better than Michael, I think you should turn this off and go on with your miserable life elsewhere. But I just that's just me. Never mind. Never mind. Okay. That, well, I'm not saying that on any biblical authority. <laughs> anyway, so all of these things, my point is, it's running in the background. That's what I mean by presuppositions and premises. And the integrative principle is bringing all of that in, right? Now, I can, we can break this down farther. The NFL is an organization in America that runs the commercial game of professional football, which is played for profit. And if you, you've ever bought tickets and tried to get some concessions there, you know what I'm talking about. So they, they run for profit and, and for the entertainment as millions of viewers either show up at live games or are viewing remote, on, remotely on TV. So now we're in the subject of entertainment and we get the ads and profits and stadiums and parking and all of that stuff. Like I said, concessions. Then we get owners and players and contracts. So the players are playing for money. Um, and they're playing in rules and, and all of this, if you look at it, is bringing us right back down to some premises about God's word. Okay. But how did I get, how did I get there? Okay. So Tom Brady is a football player who's a free man and the Buccaneers and the NFL are free to, to, to pay him to play for them insofar as he's able to uh, help them win games and so forth. As Romans 13, 8 says, owe no one anything. So Tom Brady's a free man who owes no one anything. And, and that's the, the basis of a free market. And, uh, and he's God's creation. And he is to pursue his gifts in God's name to the best of his ability. He's doing football. Now, you're not forced to watch football. You may not watch football. And that, again, is you owe no one anything. So you don't owe Tom Brady anything. So he plays freely, and you can watch freely. We're not watch. So modern football is an aspect of man's creative freedom given to him by God. Now think about this. When you're watching a game of football or soccer or baseball or bat, anything that you're doing, you're going to notice something that's consistent with what I'm talking about with the NFL here is that the players also have refs to enforce rules of the game. The game is organized and there's refs enforcing those rules. And that in this way shows us that this is the, the nature of everything that we're doing. There's rules around us, and then we need people to help enforce those rules fairly. Now, everyone knows there's bad refs out there that miss calls and so forth, but that's showing that, that we're living in a sin-sick world, and there's no, utter, there's no perfection for us. We can try to get fairness, but we never quite hit it. So athletes like Tom Brady can excel at their disciplines, but in order to do this, they must compete within rules. And because of man's nature as a sinner, refs are needed to enforce those rules, Right? But they also have coaches and trainers and all that stuff around them. So they have to be disciplined to compete at that level. 
So in this way, again, starting with the Tom Brady or, or any other athlete you want to see, you, we're going to notice God's majesty, creativity, and order all displayed. I mean, the games are extraordinary creations of, of, of man's creative mind. I mean, really, it's what they are. And you see them across cultures. You know, I, the Cherokee Indians played, played games, and every culture has played some type of war games and so forth. Um, and then and we'll have coaches and trainers, like I said, that are kind of a model parent or leader, an authority. Somebody's in charge. And they're guiding players who train and practice to achieve a goal. All of the practice is designed to get a goal. The goal is to win the football game, right? So therefore, you have an integrated principle. You don't have a brute fact, right? No brute facts in football. No brute facts in soccer, right? That's why you have a goalie back there. That's why the goalie's not trying to score. He's trying to defend the goal. The integrated principle is within the context of soccer. And soccer exists inside of a context of athletics and a game. And that then exists inside of another context and so on and so on until we back up, we get to God, okay? So this is what we mean when we say that men and women create things after God or here's, a big, here's more of a, a theological term, analogically, from within God's framework. Everything we do, now we can bring up movies, we can bring up music, all of it is a is in context of God's creative order, okay? So only God and his plan are perfect, but we do a million things in arts, entertainment, service, sports, industry, business, anything that reflect this perfection back at him. So hopefully I'm, I'm obliterating the secular sacred split that you think that when you're going to work or, or you're at home, or you're doing the dishes or anything, that you are now not doing church things, right? I mean, it, Everything, this is all God, for from him and through him and to him are all things. Everything is reflecting God's glory back to him, okay? So, mankind was ejected from the garden. Think about this for a second. Um, and the garden temple that they were placed in, that, that God created, which was, was perfect. They were still doing things, but they, were, they weren't frustrated in their work. But they were ejected uh, because they sinned. They were kicked out. And they insisted upon their own evaluation of things rather than upon God's. Now, our way back to the garden, to God's presence, is cleared once again through the finished work of Jesus Christ, who died for our sins once for all. The sacrifice of Christ fulfills all of God's legal demands against us as sinners and does away with the old contract. That's the Old Testament uh, you know, civil laws and ceremonial laws with its sacrifices and offerings. And now we're free to serve God again through faith in Christ. Therefore, a man might be a football player, a janitor, a writer, an accountant, a salesman, or anything else in which he can serve his neighbor and do it all for the glory of God in Jesus Christ. Everything. That's what set off, by the way. People think of wealth. And they think, oh, well, you know, Protestant um, work ethic. Well, that sounds almost like it's begrudgingly stuff. We should work in joy and in love to serve our neighbor in the talents and the gifts and the opportunities God has given us. Now, remember, all of this gets started with Tom Brady, okay? So you see, there's no such thing as a brute fact. For any fact to have its reality, its factness, if you will, it must get its context from its place in the plan of God. This is how we avoid the twin terrors of like nihilism and skepticism, meaning you know, nothing matters or you know, everything stinks, you know, that kind of thing, mockers and scoffers. All things require this integrated principle at work. All thinking is and must be predicated upon the ultimate reference point of God and his redemptive historical work in Christ, or else there's a destruction of knowledge. And when there's a destruction of knowledge, 
Well, guess what? We go with it. We're destroyed too. Our emotions, our loves, our dreams, our aspirations, we're destroyed too. Okay? And that's why the modern mind doesn't do this. Look at politics. I mean, politics, everything starts midstream. Moral proclamations are bandied about all the time without ever qualifying them. You always hear, no one should have to, or everyone deserves. I mean, these are statements of ethical obligations. They're, they're the statements of ethical absolutes. But they never bother defining what they are and where they got that idea from. The modern man doesn't define their standard because they're, they've been trained and encouraged to embrace the sin principle of radical human freedom or autonomy, if you will. Invariably, this must include brute factuality, which is at bottom, as I keep saying, irrational. In other words, when the autonomous principle is acted upon and facts are considered outside the plan and the authority of God, men and women try to be rational without, while being ultimately irrational. Okay, they try to be rational while ultimately being irrational. This is why you're seeing a destruction of science, right? They can't figure out what gender and all that stuff, and it's been politicized. Well, it has to be because, the again, the sin principle of radical human freedom and that there is no God and reality and, mora- and morality or what we, whatever we make of it must mean that we become irrational. Okay? So basically, this is what you're saying. When, you, when people are talking to, about politics or whatever, this is what they're really saying, all right? They're really saying... Let's just use the voice. Let's say, what I'm saying makes sense, although nothing ultimately makes sense, and neither one of us can ever share the exact same premise. So there's no no use in talking, but we're going to talk anyway and pretend that the conversation is meaningful, right? So long as neither of us asks the other how we know anything at all. Oh, and whatever you do. Don't ask why any of this conversation is meaningful to persons in a universe that's impersonal and random. There you go. That's what we're really saying to each other, right? That's what we're really saying to each other. Everything going on out there is a counterfeit of truth outside of Jesus Christ. You're counterfeiting his reality because you're in his reality. You must do it. Um, so it's like this at non-belief is the world's greatest con game. And yes, you've been victimized by it if you haven't been paying attention. And and that's why I keep saying, don't despair. Once you get this major principle that God is all things come to him, through him, and are for him in Jesus Christ, he has radical authority. It will change your life. And then you'll begin to understand how to take every thought captive, as we say. So uh, one more thing. It's the same thing with love, okay? People are fond of saying vacuous things like, love is never wrong. But this has the appearance of nobility and wisdom. And maybe you're, you're sincere in it, but you've been sincerely wrong in the past. And I'm telling you, if you're saying this now, you're sincerely wrong. Because love cannot come from human beings. It must come from Christ. And so if it makes you feel a warm and fuzzy inside, that's great. But the problem is, is one is compelled to ask love according to what? There must be a standard by which one understands love or else it's nothing at all. This is what God's word does. He tells us that true love is the fulfilling of his law. Love cannot, therefore, be lawless in the sense of righteousness. It can't be in violation of his moral order. Thus, again, by virtue of the fact that God created us and everything else, we can't make sense of life unless we presuppose him in all of our thinking. That's Proverbs 3, verses 4 and 5. 
the kingdom of heaven will be a kingdom of perfect love because it will be perfect righteousness. Where sin goes, it fractures relationships. It causes conflict. It causes shame and aloneness and alienation, despair. Sin does that. So you can't have love with unrighteousness. You can't do it. To have real love requires, absolutely demands, that we have righteousness. And human beings, this is a Christian message, guys, boys and girls, can't have righteousness without faith and faith in Jesus Christ. Faith isn't something we have. It's coming from Christ and it's reflected back at him. That's what I mean when I say we live analogically, reflecting God's majesty and his truth and his order back to him. Okay? So I know it's a huge subject. I hope it's edifying. Uh, you know, you've got the podcast, so if you need to listen to it again, do check out the blog on this. I've got a blog, and it's got a, a, a quick photo of Tom Brady, and, it, and the title is No Brute Facts, Even Tom Brady Presupposes God. Check it out. And I'll give you a chance to like read it if you if you're like one of those guys that likes to read things and um, you know helps reinforce. So I think that'll help you, and I do hope it does. And again, I I, I know sometimes it can be hard. We're kind of like you know uh, out of shape chubsters that are trying to go for a run for the first time. Sometimes when we get out here and we get into this this world of doctrine and and theology, and uh, and that's to be expected. So I, with with the utmost compassion, I I compel you. I I I, I appeal to you rather. I, I appeal to you. Better word. Sorry about that. I got to compel. <laughs> Wrong word. Um, uh, that you 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 can do this and pray to the Lord for wisdom. James one. Pray to the Lord for wisdom. He's a cheerful giver. And uh, he loves you, and he will bring you into greater and deeper understanding of him. That's the key to life, is him, is Jesus Christ. Okay, so uh, again, hope this was edifying and helpful, and I'll catch you guys next time.